All right, anybody getting anything out of this? Caleb could be a stand-up comedian. And I don't know what this is all about, but I'm going to try it out. Thank you, Caleb. Amen. I'm waiting for the rest of the gifts later. Thank you so much. <clears throat> you know, if you're going to have uh, and live the dream that God has for your marriage and your family, you've got to work at understanding each other. And uh, understanding the opposite sex doesn't come automatically. Have you discovered that already? Uh, but you know, there's a saying that heaven is, I mean, uh, marriage is made in heaven. Oh, so is thunder and lightning. Uh, they, you know, I heard one guy said, he said, he said, you know, my wife is an angel. He said, you're lucky. He said, mine's still alive. <laughs> Billy Graham, the great evangelist, said, once said, men, try praising your wife, even if it does frighten her at first. <clears throat> All right, in this session, we're going to talk about pursuing your spouse. And uh, this could be the fun session for you. I hope it is. But pursuing your spouse is a lot of fun, only if they let you catch them. Because um, otherwise, you know, it kind of reminds me of Boudreaux and Clotilde. You know, Boudreaux and Clotilde got married. And, um, and so uh, they're, they're on their way going to the honeymoon. They're driving down Interstate 10 going towards New Orleans because that's where they're going to have their honeymoon. And Boudreaux puts his hand on Clotilde's knee. And Clotilde says, Boudreaux, he says, you can go further if you like. So he drove another 200 miles. <laughs> he, he just didn't get it figured out, bless his heart. But, but let me talk to you about pursuit, because pursuit is everything. To pursue means to follow someone to catch them. That's what it's really about. And, you know, I've heard the saying that mercy lasts as long as sin continues to pursue and that is really true. You know, we need mercy. As long as there's sin pursuing us, we need the mercy for that. But uh, I believe that love lasts when we pursue what we love or who we love. And so I've discovered that what you pursue pursues you. If you pursue evil, evil will pursue you. If you pursue, pursue holiness or righteousness, it will pursue you. If you pursue your spouse, hopefully they will pursue you. And it's what it's what you did uh, before you got married. You were pursuing them. You were after them. You were hunting them. You were stalking them. I mean, that's how probably a lot of you were. And uh, that's just what happens. You were relentless in that pursuit. Some of you were obsessed in your pursuit. You know, for me, it was not that hard because I'm irresistible. <laughs> and it just took her a little while to figure it all out. But the measure of your relentlessness determines the outcome. Now we're talking about in this session, the last session, pursuing your spouse. You, what you catch is, is determined by what you pursue. And so uh, for a healthy relationship in a marriage, there's got to be pursuit. You've got to chase each other around a little bit. You've got to go pursue each other once again. Otherwise, love begins to fade. Or it becomes stale in your relationship. So whatever you're determined to pursue, it will pursue you. You'll have a head-on collision with it. There, I mean, you can find all kinds of biblical examples of this. Like the woman with the issue of blood, she pursued Christ until she grabbed the hem of his garment. She was, she was at, at a head-on collision with what she was pursuing. That was healing. Judas. Judas was at a head-on collision with what he was pursuing. He found at the end of a rope. But I mean, he pursued wickedness, he pursued those kind of things, and he found it. But you're on a head-on collision for what? I mean, what are you on a head-on collision for right now? I mean, everything that I have been relentless for, I've been in a head-on collision with it. Everything. I mean, uh, if I pursued evil, I found it. If I pursued righteousness, I found it. I mean, when I pursued Jeannie, I found her. Hallelujah. And the Bible says, when you find a wife, you found a good thing. I found a good thing. And I'm grateful for it. But to strengthen your marriage, here's some things you need to pursue. I've got three things I want you to pursue. Number one, you need to pursue with love. There's got to be love. What is love? Love is what connects you together. It's the glue. It's the mortar in the bricks. It's the things that join you together. I mean, here's my question did you, for you. Did you choose him or her or did you get stuck with them? And I would just say for probably everybody that's here today, you chose that person. Now, I don't know what your marriage is like right now, but you need to go back in time. When you walk down that aisle or wherever you went to get married, you chose that person. 
You were in love with that person. There was something about that person you said, I want to spend the rest of my life with. But as we've talked about, things can go stale. You forget about the, how God made that other person. You don't communicate well anymore. You don't understand the love languages like Jeannie was just sharing about. And, and your love has just has faded away. And so you're not pursuing love anymore like you did in the very beginning. And I know you pursued it. You pursued love with all your heart, with all your might. And, you know, I talked about this last night, but marriage is perfect in the eyes of God. It's just made up of two imperfect people. We're the imperfect people. But with our imperfections, there's clashes, there's disagreements, there's arguments. But that doesn't have to ruin your marriage. That's why we need to pursue. Love overcomes a multitude of sins. It's a covering for all kinds of faults. Now, I want you to listen to this. In Genesis 24, verse 67, this is about Isaac and Rebekah. It says that Isaac took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. Now, I want you to understand, he had never seen her before. She had never seen him before. They'd never even shaken hands. I mean, the first time that he saw her is when she came off that camel. I mean, what a great look that must have been. She came off that camel. The servant, of his, uh, the servant his dad, I mean, Isaac's dad, Abraham, said, go find a wife for my son. And so this marriage was arranged. They'd never met each other. But the Bible said he loved her. He says he, he looked at her and he loved her. Love is an act of self-sacrifice. That's what love really is. And so this mutual love was developed. Uh, they worked at it. As I said, they'd never seen each other. Love had to grow it didn't happen overnight. We've had people in our church that are from India, and they have told us how sometimes the marriages in India are arranged. And they said, actually, those marriages uh, last longer than some that are not arranged because when you meet that person that's an arranged marriage, now I'm not necessarily for an arranged marriage, but they said, what happens is that you have to learn how to love that person for who they are. And so it's a different approach. And so that's what happened with Isaac. He had to learn to love her. It had to be developed. He had to pursue love. Mutual love was developed by Rebecca and by Isaac, and it carried them through every rough time that they faced. I mean, early marriage adjustments, childbirth, you know, they had twins. He had problems with his brother, Ishmael, so I mean, they had to go through some family problems. Uh, death of parents, family disputes, famine, adult children that they had problems with, they had problems in the workplace, on and on and on. If you study and read about their life, they had one issue after another, just like us. Just like us. But they had to pursue love. It says, and he loved her. It says, he looked at her and he loved her. Love is grown. It is developed. Now, I, I loved Jeannie when I married her, but I really love her now. Because over 40-something years, through all the heartache, through all the stress, through all the trials, through everything we deal with in life, our love has just grown deeper and greater. I like that. I'm glad about that. And it's not been without problems, because we all have problems. We've been talking about this all day and last night. And that's just part of life. But the reality is that our love has to grow. We have to pursue Love. We have to make adjustments when we need to make those adjustments. But attraction turned into love because of pursuit. Because of, I'm going to use that word pursuit because it's so important about pursuing one another. Because before you got married, you did everything you could to attract the other person. Am I right about this? Men, you actually took a shower. You actually put on some cologne and shaved and did all the, you started doing, I mean, you started lifting. Right now you're doing forklifts. You're not doing weightlifts anymore, but you're doing forklifts. But I mean, you tried to look good, dress nice. You tried to be kind. Now, you know, you got your ragged old flannel shirt that you've worn for the last eight months without being washed. You know what I'm saying? And, and uh, you go to sleep on the couch. I mean, you're breaking wind constantly. Hello. And all the ladies said, uh-huh. I mean, you, you just, you become a slob in some areas because you got her. And now you're just going to pursue other things like got career, money, house, all these other kind of things. And ladies, you know, you always look good and your best in the beginning. I mean, you were so happy to be with your man, but now you don't try as much. I mean, once you had your makeup on perfectly, I mean, perfume, you were dressed to please him. Now you're just in your house robe and your fuzzy slippers. 
you know, wearing your, wearing your sweats around, your hair's in a mess. You go to bed, you put that oil of delay on your face. It used to be called oil of Olay. I call it oil of delay. And it doesn't delay anything. It just greases you up. I mean, it looks like you're about to swim the English Channel. I mean, you know what I'm saying? And you fall asleep, your mouth is wide open, you're snoring. You know, things have changed. You're not pursuing like you once pursued. And, and I'm just saying, if you want love to blossom, you want it to grow. Listen, we've got to pursue love. Do what you did back in the olden days, if you can remember that far back. I mean, we automatically think because we're married that we'll always be in love. That's not true. Love has grown. It's continuously grown, watered, developed, nurtured. It's an ongoing process of attracting the other person. You know, I've always tried, and Jeannie can tell you if this is true, and I, I, never, I never had one meal without my shirt on. I always put a shirt on. Maybe if I was working outside of work, if it was time to eat, I can't put a shirt on out of respect to her. You know, it's just little things I've tried to do over all these years to pursue love, to let her know I loved her, because I think that's what you have to do if you're going to have a lasting marriage. And by the way, I don't have 48 years to give to anybody else. I'm running out of time, so she's going to have to do. And I'm going to have to do. But uh, like I said, for love to continue, you've got to do what you once did to impress them. Men, think about what you did to impress them. Now, you don't need to hang upside down on a tree limb. I don't think that impressed. They think you're going to get hurt. But now, back then, they probably were impressed. But just go back and do some of those things. Because there has to be an ongoing effort. There's got to be a demonstration of this love. And by the way, it's not just how you dress. It's really your attitude more than anything. Uh, that's, that's how you make love ha happen. Because life happens, work happens, children happen. We get distracted. Pursuing love is putting your focus back on that person. And I don't know what that necessarily means to you. I just know that you have to be thinking about this. It's so important. If love has crashed, things aren't going well, and life's problems are overwhelming, you, your kids are out of control, your debt over your head, your marriage is on the rocks, what do you do? Go back to the basics. Just go back to the basics. Plant the seed of, lo of love again. It's the self-sacrifice you've got to take to nurture that seed of love that was once there. You have to pursue in love. Number two, you have to pursue with sex. Now we finally get somebody's attention. I know you waited all morning long to get to this one section, but you've got to pursue with sex. Now, sex is what keeps the marriage healthy and whole and solid and affair-proof. Now, ladies, I want you to listen. Uh, for that to happen, or rather men, for that to happen, mama's got to be happy. Men, do you hear what I'm saying? Mama's got to be happy. If the queen bee ain't happy, as I said last night, you don't get no honey. And so, men, you got to figure out what makes mama happy. I mean, take out the garbage. Help in the kitchen. Come on, ladies, you ought to be saying something. Uh, did you know that a vacuum cleaner can actually be operated by a man? Did you realize that? I mean, when I vacuum the house, Jeannie just goes, she, I mean, it's like, she goes overboard. It's just the wildest thing. I'm just, I'm just sucking up dirt. I mean, how special. But to her... That's special because I'm helping her out. If you help her more, she'll probably be in the mood more. And all the ladies said, you're absolutely right. <clears throat> Grab that vacuum cleaner, men, when you get home. Clean up the kitchen. Help with the kids. Give them a bath tonight, whatever it takes. I mean, do something to help your wife. We're talking about pursuing love. Now we're talking about sex. Now, ladies, listen to me. For that to happen, women, daddy's got to be admired. Mama's got to be happy, but daddy's got to be admired. Ladies, when your man isn't admired, he feels rejected. Jeannie talked about this last night. Admiration for a man is a big deal. We're egotistical. Isn't that right, men? I'm not, I don't apologize for it. It is what it is. It are what it are. And so, I mean, ladies, if you don't know how to massage that ego then you're never going to have love. And you, I'm going to tell you, the sex will just be going through an event. It's all it's going to be. It's not going to be romantic at, at all. But men pursue those that admire them. And if you won't admire him, I guarantee there's other women out there that will admire your husband. There are a lot of them out there. 
And so let me settle this today. God made sex, not the devil. Let's settle that right now. He put the hormones in. He made it for marriage. Listen to what I'm saying. Watch my lips. He made it for marriage. That's the place it's authorized, legitimized, advertised. It's in a marriage relationship. And the number one reason why people have affairs and there's infidelity is because people found the Rome in their heart when the romance left. Listen to what I'm saying. When the romance is gone, the only thing that's left is the Rome. And a lot of people are roaming because there's no romance left in their relationship. Oh, there was in the beginning, but not now. It's all about just kind of going through the motions. I mean, men who want sex are going to find it. Women who want intimacy, I'm going to tell you, they're going to find it. Women want to have intimacy. Men want sex. And so sex outside of God's design is dangerous. It can destroy marriages and lives. And sometimes we use sex for the wrong reasons. But let me read this to you out of Genesis 2, verse 22 and 25. Because whenever I look at this verse, I'm reminded of the story of a pastor who, have you ever seen back in the old days, they had Bibles with the loose leaf. It was like loose leaf Bibles where it was kind of like, like a ringed Bible. You know, you can move pages around or put notes in there. And he was preaching from this thing and he's preaching from Genesis uh, chapter two. And he had one of those loose leaf Bibles. And so uh, he was about to speak out of, out of Genesis two. And one of the pages in his Bible had fallen out on the floor. He didn't know it. He was unaware of it. And so he stood there and he was reading the scripture. It says, and Adam, he said, and Adam said to Eve, and he flipped to the next page and it was gone. It had slipped out of his Bible. And he said, and Adam said to Eve, and he said, this is very interesting. It looks like a leaf is missing. <laughs> but here's what it says. God made a woman and brought her to the man. This is it, Adam exclaimed. She is part of my own bone and flesh. Her name is woman because she was taken out of the man. Now, although the man and his wife were both naked, neither of them were embarrassed or ashamed. Now, I want you to see that it was God's intent. Uh, God's intent was that Adam and Eve could see each other just as they were. Really, in fact, he's talking about a sexual relationship in this verse. That's what he's talking about. And so this was the top priority. He, he wanted there to be no shame, no embarrassment, no disappointment, none of those things. God's top priority uh, was a sexual union in marriage. That's where it all began. I just read it to you. That's where it all began. That they were naked and they were unashamed, as some of the Bible translations say. God had a plan for our pleasure, our sexual pleasure. Uh, is it okay to talk about this, Pastor Jordan? It's too late because I've already started the message, but I'm just saying... <laughs> You can correct anything after I leave. But uh, that plan, by the way, has never changed. It has not changed whatsoever. God intends for us to experience the full sexual satisfaction in a marriage relationship. So we need to settle this once and for all. God made man and woman so they could be naked, unashamed, so they could be together for this sexual union in a marriage. God created us male and female. He designed the body. He's the one that created this. He's the one that invented sex. Hugh Hefner did not invent sex. And it was God's idea. He created And we should not be ashamed to talk about what God created. And I know some of you are afraid to get too enthusiastic about this because you're in church. <laughs> and you don't want to appear overly anxious or overly curious or overly excited. I understand that. And some of you are like, well, it's not that big a deal. It's not that important to me and all this kind of You don't fool me. I know better than that. Everybody wants to have sex and have a, a good sexual relationship in their relationship. Why, did you, why do you think you got married? Because you liked kissing. That's where it started. They say 43% of women, uh, women in a study, they thought about sex once a week. In this same study, it says men reported that they thought about sex once a day. It usually stunned about men and women. And <laughs> a study was done about men and women and how they think. All right, listen to me. Sexual desire has everything to do with how you think. Particularly if you think about it positively. And the biggest sexual organ in your body is your brain. I don't know if you know this, because it all starts here. It all starts up in, in this area, because that's where God created everything. What happens in your head in life shapes your sexual desires. Women, if you don't feel loved, 
then sexual desire is going to be inhibited. The brain sees to that. Men, if you don't feel like you're admired and respected, can I just tell you, you're not, you don't want to be with her. In fact, you're mad at her. You don't want to be around her. The brain sees to that. You see, this is, this is where the sex organ is, is right here. That's why we got to get our thinking straight. And to think about sex in the relationship of marriage the way God thinks about it. And look, you don't fool me secretly. I know you're hoping that I'll say something today that'll put a spark in the dark that'll take, <laughs> that'll take your romance out of, the, out of park. You know what I'm saying? You want to put it back in drive again. So here are three reasons why God made sex. One is for unity. That's the first thing, is for unity. It's a bond between a husband and wife. Five times in the Bible it says they were of one flesh, you will become one. That's a, sexual, that's a sexual connotation. It's a communication tool when words don't work. That's what sex is. It's a communication tool when words will not work. It's a physical expression of a spiritual and emotional reality. Uh, two become one. The purpose of sex is not to reproduce children. That's later. Uh, it's to produce unity between the husband and the wife. Number two, it's for pleasure. I'm just telling you the biblical outline here is for pleasure. God says, I created it for your enjoyment, for your mutual enjoyment, for both husband and the wife. It's a gift. It's a gift. That's why it's for pleasure. And then number three is for children. God said, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. And by the way, that's just about the only command man has been able to keep, unfortunately. We've done that part. But you know, the sad thing for most couples is the purpose of sex in their marriage is number three, usually. It's not for unity anymore. It's not for pleasure anymore. It's because we're going to have kids. Now we've had kids, and you know, women think, okay, I've done my part. Or maybe a man thinks, okay, I've done my part. And, we, and the fizzle, and the sizzle is gone. Something's wrong. I think it's out of order. There's not a balance anymore. So when, when that happens, what do you do? When that sizzle is gone, what do you do? Because there's anger and frustration and hurt and misunderstanding. Okay, so I want to give you three things that fit under this category of pursue a sex. Let me give you three things. Number one, you need to change your attitude when it comes to sex. Change your attitude. More, cause, more problems are caused by wrong attitude action. And today it's, it's really shifts than anything else because your attitude controls your action. And today it's, it's really easy to pick up a wrong attitude about sex. All you got to do is go buy a magazine stand at a checkout counter at a grocery store, watch TV, or get on the internet or whatever. And I'm going to tell you, there's so much stuff out there that will mess with your right attitude or the right attitude. So much misinformation, uh, myths. Some of you have uh, a bad understanding of it because maybe abuse from your childhood or a bad experience or some kind of trauma, or as I said, misinformation. And so this wrong attitude affects how you act. And so how do you get a right, a right attitude about sex? Well, you've got to accept the way God accepts it. You've got to think about the way God thinks about it. God thinks about it in a positive way. He thinks it's a good thing. He's the one that created it. In 1 Timothy 4, it says, For everything God created is good, and nothing is to be rejected, but all is to be received with prayer, a prayer of thanksgiving. That includes sexuality. By the way, the word sexuality is not, is not I'm not talking about sexual orientation. That's something else. I'm talking about sexuality. You're made male and you're made female. But God made you a sexual being. It's part of who you are. It's part of your identity. If, if that wasn't true, then why did he put the hormones in there? Are you following me? And so we need to reverse this curse that a sexual relationship uh, in a marriage, it's not a sin. It's not a sin at all. And we need to accept it without guilt and without shame. It doesn't even come close to being evil. In the eyes of God, it's good. It was what he intended. It's what he loves to see. He's glad about it. It's part of life. Like I say, if God didn't plan on you being a sexual being, you wouldn't have had the hormones that you have. Men, you have testosterone. Women, you have estrogen. He didn't do this to torment you, but he did it because it was part of the plan that he had for your marriage, for your relationship, so that you could pursue one another in love and then with a sexual relationship. I'm going to say something important here, so I want you to hear this out. Love making between a husband and wife is an honorable thing. It's honorable. Let me read you the scripture to show it to you. Hebrews 13, 4. Marriage is honorable among all, and the bed undefiled. 
That's what the scripture says. That means it's not dirty, it's not bad, it's not evil, it's a good thing. But there are so many people that have a wrong attitude about sex. I mean, you can't imagine how many people have a hard time with it. I heard about one woman, she said, all my life I was told, no, 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 when it came to sex, no, no. She says, and so I get married, there's a 30-minute ceremony, they say a bunch of words, and they give me a piece of paper, and now it's yes, yes, yes. She said, I'm having a hard time making that transition in my mind. I was told no, 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 and now after 30 minutes and a piece of paper, it's yes, yes, yes. I mean, it's, it's hard sometimes to flip that switch. It's a mental switch, she said, I'm having a hard time making. By the way, when it comes to your children, you ought not be teaching your children no, no, no. You ought to be teaching them wait, wait, wait. That's what you ought to be doing. Wait for the right moment, the right person, the right time. A sexual being teaching them wait, not no. Because God wants this. God wants you to be a sexual being in a marriage. We've got to accept the fact that if you're married, God wants you to enjoy your spouse. Proverbs says, be happy. Yes, rejoice in your wife. Let her tender embraces satisfy you. Let her love alone fill you with delight. The Bible is so explicit about sex. I wish we had all afternoon to talk about this. But, but he talks about the word desire. It says, he said, let you be filled with delight and desire. That's not one of the strongest Hebrew words there is. The word delight. Delight means to be consumed or captivated or intoxicated. Be ravished or be transported by her love. One of the Bible says, it says, let, let, it says, let uh, her senses steal you away. I mean, we're talking about a bunch of fun is what we're talking about, by the way. Look, it's God's will that your sexual relationship marriage is mutual, satisfying, and exhilarating. And the Bible teaches that sex, when used in marriage, glorifies God. 1 Corinthians 6.20, he says, use every part of your body to glorify God. What's the context here? If you read the whole context, it's really about sex. Use your whole body to glorify God. God didn't make some of the parts of your body good and some of the parts of your body bad. He didn't do that. I mean, it's all good. One survey said that 40% of Christian women said the number one hang-up in their sexual relationship was inhibition. Inhibition. Well, God says just use every part of your body. What's wrong with that? God says sex is okay in marriage. In fact, God sanctions it there. He delights in it. He doesn't just tolerate it. He delights in it. He doesn't close his eyes when a couple makes love or turn his back. He says, you know, this is what I made these creatures for. For pleasure, for unity, so they can bond, and for children. He said, this is what I created them for. Just like I created them to lift their hands and worship me. Just like I created them to be, able, be a voice. I created them, you know, if you read through the whole scripture, it's, it's all of this in our lives. So God is not offended. When God's attitude becomes your attitude about sex, I mean, then a lot of your problems are going to vanish. You're going to have a relationship that's healthy and balanced. And as I said, you turn the fizzle into sizzle. Some of you need to turn the heat up. You know what I'm saying? Because you've lost it. So if you want to put the fire back in the oven, you need to get the right attitude. You need to work on it. Number two, you need to create the right atmosphere. I'm talking to you about sex. You've got to have uh, the right attitude. Number two, you have to have the right atmosphere. If you want to put the spark in the bedroom, back into the bedroom, you have to have the right atmosphere for that to happen. For women, it's about setting. It's about the setting. It's about the atmosphere. For men, it's about the timing. How about now? <clears throat> It's more, atmosphere is more important to a woman than it is for a man. That's true. It's more, men, men don't get it. We don't, we, we don't, look, I mean, we don't need to have an atmosphere. Just give us a place. <laughs> <clears throat> Romance and atmosphere go together. Men, men, remember, they're buffaloes. Remember that? We're buffaloes. And so we don't care. It doesn't, that doesn't mean a thing to us. But men, you better pay attention because atmosphere is everything. I mean, you've got to get the right attitude, but now you've got to figure out the right atmosphere. In some cases, husbands, I think, are a little dense when it comes to atmosphere. So I'm going to give you a checklist, and then your wife can give you a better checklist later. Is that all right? So here's a checklist for any, some of these may apply to you, and you can ask your wife for something personalized later, but here's a checklist for the right atmosphere. The curtains are not closed completely. That's a big deal for a woman. Men, we don't care. 
All right? The door is not strong enough. The light is too bright. It's too dark. Men, just put, get, a, get a, one of those dimmers. Just buy one of them. They're $12, $15 at home. People, you can install them without it getting electrocuted, I promise you. And that way you can adjust it the way you need to adjust it so she's happy. It's too hot. It's too cold. I'm talking about the right atmosphere. You need to shave. Uh, sorry, Dave. Uh, you need a shower. You need to brush your teeth. Hello, I'm talking about atmosphere. Listen, for a man, we don't care about that. It's all about the act. For them, it's about the romance. It's about the setting. It's about the atmosphere. Men, come on. I need to hit you over the head with a two-by-four. I'm going to go get one. Because if you want to have the right attitude and sex, that's great. But if you don't have the right atmosphere, it ain't going nowhere. Uh, The kids are still up. The ball game is still on the TV. Can you turn the TV off? They're saying now that that couples, particularly young couples, are on their phones while they're having sex, texting. I mean, oh, really? I mean, turn the TV off. Put your technical... Men, you also need to realize... Put them away somewhere. Look, atmosphere is important. It makes a difference. Men, you also need to realize that your wife needs time to prepare. Uh, herself emotionally. Women and men are wired differently. It's true. I mean, when it comes to sex, men are like a light switch. Isn't that true? Women are, are, I mean, men turn on very quickly. Women are like an iron. It just takes a little while to warm them up. True? Uh, I mean, they say uh, like a, a, a woman is like a crock pot. Isn't that true? A man is like a microwave. So I'm talking about atmosphere. I mean, God put an entire book in the Bible simply for the purpose of illustrating and demonstrating to you and explaining to you the ingredients of a right atmosphere. It's called the Song of Solomon. Eight chapters. Go buy you an easy-to-read Bible or go online and look for the Living Bible Translation or the easiest one, the message. I mean, anything. This common language. And read through it a bunch of times. I'm going to tell you, it'll fire you up. Because that whole book in the Bible is about the sexual relationship between a man and a woman, a husband and wife. It's good stuff. Can I hear that? Amen. Amen. God gave you five senses. It's okay to use them all. Song of Solomon talks about not being in a hurry. Talks about private places. Talks about complimenting, attractive attire, affectionate touches. Talks about uh, special places and privacy, fragrances. Uh, dreaming and thinking of each other intimately. Talks about total commitment and about intimate talk. I mean, go read it. See, God, God has a plan for all of your not life, not just your spiritual life, but your sexual life, your earthly life. And we just we don't want to talk about it. We don't want to talk about what God created. Because we're afraid to, we're ashamed to. But you ought to, like I said, get an easy-to-read Bible. Just read this over and over, and I promise it will heat up the atmosphere, help you get a better idea, men particularly, about setting the right atmosphere. So, okay, so let me simplify this. The affection is the atmosphere. Sex is the event. Let me say it again. The, The affection is the atmosphere. The sex becomes the event. The atmosphere makes the event one to remember and to be repeated. And men, if you want a repeat... Remember the atmosphere. Are you following what I'm saying? If you want to keep this from becoming an event, do your part. Do your part. Ladies, you help set the atmosphere too. You're the one that can keep this from becoming an event. I mean, you're part of the plan too. It's not just the men. I'm, I'm harder on the men because I think men, we're just kind of oblivious. We're just, we're just interested in the event. We don't think about the other part. But you don't create that atmosphere in 10 minutes, men. I mean, just because you walk through the door and try to, I'm going to take a shower, baby, and we're going to have some fun. Everything else, trying to get dinner. You know what? That's fine. But I mean, for her, she's been dealing with kids all day and everything else, trying to get dinner ready for you. She's tired and worn out. She's worked all day too, just like you. And now she had to pick up the kids and she's trying to get them straightened out and do their homework. All this kind of stuff. And you know, she needs more than 10 minutes. In fact, it's an all-day process. 
Man, it ought to be maybe a text message here or there, a little phone call telling her that you love her. She's special. I mean, it's about sharing your life and talking and sharing. You know, that's what builds the warm atmosphere where love blossoms. It's not just something that happens in 10 minutes. And by the way, you never know what's going to happen when things heat up. But man, you got to do your part. And that atmosphere of affection is the culmination of the event. Okay, so we talked about attitude. We talked about uh, atmosphere. Let me give you the third part under pursuing sex, and that you have to work hard to satisfy each other. 1 Corinthians 7 says, The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife, and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife's body does not belong to her alone, but also to her husband. In the same way, the husband's body does not belong to him alone, but also to his wife. Now, when you got married, I think you need to remember, you gave up the rights to your body. Now, by the way, men, that doesn't mean you can demand whatever you want. That's not what this means. But there is a mutual, uh, there's a mutual uh, uh, surrender, if you will, of your body to that other person. That's what this is about. It means that when you get married, you give them your heart, your soul, and your body. That's what you do. And the problem with premarital sex is that you become bedmates before you become soulmates. That's the problem with premarital sex. And so, I mean, they start giving their bodies without giving their soul. And they think that cements the relationship. Can I tell you what? Cements cor- cement cracks under pressure. And that cement's going to crack under pressure. Because they gave their body without giving their heart and their soul to that person. And that's why if you're single, or if you know somebody single, it's important for them to consider who they're going to marry. Because you don't want to marry somebody you're not willing to give your heart, your soul, and your body to. It's all those three things. You don't want to make this full commitment to somebody without them doing the same, their heart and their soul and body to you. That's why the Bible says two shall become one, flesh. And you don't want to give your body to someone just to test the water to see if you're compatible. I hear this all the time. Well, I want to see if we're compatible. Well, you know what? Why don't you get married? You'll find out if you're compatible. Because love grows. Like We just talked about that a minute ago. When you get married, you'll, you'll learn. Love begins to grow. I mean, that's the most ridiculous excuse I've ever heard. We want to see if we're compatible. You know, I've never not known a man and a woman, since they're men and women, they have different... Uh, genetics and different things. I've not seen them ever not be compatible. You know what I'm saying? They'll fix a pie. I mean, like a, a, you know, it's like if I go to buy, do they have any kind of restaurants here where you can go buy a piece of pie? I mean, like a, a, a pie and bring it home. Do they have any place like that? Okay, if I went someplace to go buy a pie tonight so we can have it after dinner and I get it home and I open it up and there's a piece missing, I'm not going to be very happy. Oh, where's my piece of pie? Well, they gave that piece of pie away to somebody else a long time ago. You see what I'm saying? Look, when I get married, I want the whole pie. And that's what, look, the person marrying you ought to expect the whole pie. Now, if you've made mistakes before you got married, all right, let's put that under the blood. And let's ask God to forgive us. And let's start all over again. But I'm just saying to you right now that you've got to be willing to give that other person everything that you are, your heart, your mind your soul, your body. The Bible says that you're to use your body to meet the sexual needs of your spouse. That's why God gave you this body. It's for their needs. And that's the exact opposite of what the world teaches. The world does not teach this. Their attitude about uh, sex is summarized with this. What and how much can I have and how soon can I have it? That's what the world teaches. That's what the world teaches. But the Bible says, what can I give and how can I meet my spouse's needs. That's what the Bible says. It's an unselfish focusing on the other person. Uh, the husband is to do this for the wife, and the wife is to do this for the husband. Every couple I know struggles in their sexual relationship. A study was done that revealed that satisfactory adjustments of sexual relations takes a couple, an average of about six years. They say only 10% of couples can figure that out in the first year. In fact, they're saying that it takes uh, usually about 20 years to get that figured out. Now think about that, 20 years to get a lot of, figure out what the sexual satisfaction are. And by the way, that changes as you get older. And so you have to make adjustments along the way. It's just part of what life is all about. But here's the point, don't give up. Keep working at it. Because that's the fun part, 
right? That's the part we ought to be excited about. And maybe you've had some bad experiences or you've been frustrated or you're not communicating. Well, don't ignore all that. Don't sit it on the, on the shelf because you're cheating both of you. That's not what God intended. The Bible says that you're to satisfy each other's needs because you've given yourself to each other. Is this okay? I mean, are you getting this? This makes sense. Maybe this is what you've been taught. Maybe it's not what you've been taught. But it's going to take adjustments you have to talk about. Look, everybody talks about sex except couples. Isn't that right? You know, sometimes you just have to kind of swallow your embarrassment and just say, I don't like this, or I like this. You know, this, this, this is better for me, and this is not as good for me. You know, it's all right, because I think the person you married, they want to please you. God put that in their spirit, in their heart, and in their mind. And so you've got to be willing to learn and experiment and be open to each other. Of part, fun part. 1 Corinthians 7 says this, don't cheat each other of normal sexual relationships unless you both decide to abstain temporarily to make special time for prayer. But afterwards you should resume relations as before or you will expose yourself to the obvious temptations of Satan. You know, a lot of couples fall into the trap of hurting each other or manipulating, manipulating each other by withholding sex. Now I said this last night, let me say this again. Men, when they argue, they sometimes, they just argue from the neck up. I mean, it's all about what's in your mind, what you're going to say. Women argue from the neck down because they withhold. Can I tell you, that's demonic. I mean, if women, if you're arguing, well, they're not going to get nothing from me. I mean, they're not going to get any sex from me. I mean, until they straighten up and do this, do that. See, that's how women think. Men don't think that way because we, we we're arguing from the neck up because we'll have sex anywhere, anytime, whether you're mad at us or not. <laughs> Can I just say don't do that? Sex is not to be used as a weapon or a club, ever. It's not to be used to manipulate, to try to, uh, to, try to get your way about certain things. It's not used as a reward. So don't cheat yourself out of normal relations unless you both decide. It's only, uh, uh, the only time that sex is, is to be abstained from is when you both decide, let's take some time off or, or whatever it might be. You have children or whatever you need to heal up. But, I mean, it needs to be a mutual decision that both of you have. Am I, am I clear? Am I making this clear without getting too much details? But withholding a sex from your spouse is a sin. And I know people do that, both men and women, women particularly. But uh, the Bible's real clear on this. And some of you say, well, I don't feel like it. Well, figure out why you don't feel like it. Because that's not an appropriate response. It could be biological. It could be something physical, why you don't feel like it. It could be something emotional. I don't know what it might be. But you need to start thinking about, about that. Ask God to help you. If it's an emotional thing. Maybe you're having trouble with your husband. I mean, ask God to help you. If it's a physical thing, see a doctor. You know, there's ways to, to solve some of these things. But you've got to make time. Uh, the solution is to have a balanced diet when it comes to sexual things. You know, there's a thing, uh, sometimes your spouse needs a snack. Sometimes they need a dinner. Sometimes they need a banquet. Is, that, is this a good way to maybe explain this? <laughs> a snack is maybe five minutes. A dinner is maybe 10 to 20 minutes. A banquet is anything over a half an hour. <laughs> the Bible says men shall not live by snacks alone. <clears throat> And by the way, men, if you're feeding your wife a constant diet of snacks, you are emotionally, physically, and spiritually causing her to be malnourished. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Because 10 minutes, a little snack is not usually enough for a woman. It's okay for you, but it's not for her. Because there's no romance. It's not the right atmosphere. It's not the right attitude. And you've got to be willing to spend time so that your wife has a banquet every once in a while. I don't believe any woman can be the person that God wants her to be and to respond to her husband when all he does is keep her on a diet of snacks. It just doesn't work that way. So men, you've got to make time. All of you need to have a balanced diet. I know some of you are saying, well, we have kids at home. Well, I mean, if, if you can save some money and go to the Holiday Inn Express for a night, have some friends watch the kids, maybe for the evening. Can I tell you what, if it's a nice summer day, can I tell you what you can do? This will really help you. Get you a bag of jelly beans, throw them out in the backyard. I get, you'll have 30 or 45 minutes before the kids find all the jelly beans. <laughs> Trust me. You can lock the door because they ain't going nowhere. They're going to find that candy, I can tell you that. Just a little hint. You know, make an investment in your marriage. I think it's important. 
the Bible teaches that, that uh, either partner can initiate uh, making love and we're to meet each other's needs. And so, I mean, why does God strongly recommend this? Why does he, why does he talk about all this? Because he doesn't want you to cheat the other out of normal relationship or normal relations. That's the reason why. Because he said you expose yourself to the temptations of Satan. And we're trying to eliminate that. We're trying to affair-proof our marriages. And if you ignore your mate's physical, emotional, spiritual needs, I don't know if you know what you're really doing to your marriage, but I mean, it's, I mean, it's dangerous. And God says it's dangerous. And if you don't create a magnet in your home, the devil is going to create a magnet someplace outside of the home. Men or women. I've seen it happen too many times. And so uh, uh, in society today where the divorce rate is probably at least 50%, and that includes the church, by the way, uh, sci- uh, psychologists say that the hidden uh, agenda in a lot of divorces is a conflict over frequency. So let me just address this real quick. The best way to protect your marriage is to develop an exhilarating sexual relationship with each other. If you do that, there'll be enough frequency to where both are satisfied and you don't have to look someplace else. I mean, I don't think that... I I heard one guy says, well, I'm not going to go look for a VW when I have a Cadillac at home. I mean, hello. If I've got a Cadillac at home, then what am I looking for? If I've got a BMW at home, then why why do I even need to worry about what else is out there? See what I'm saying? So ladies, here's a question. Uh, when you go on a diet, and I know that ladies diet more than men. I, I see the difference. <clears throat> <clears throat> but uh, when you're on a diet, how hungry are you? Are you pretty hungry when you're on a diet? I mean, really, if I were on a diet a lot, I would be hungry all the time. Well, I just want you to know, when you're on a diet, how often do you think about food? Do you think about food a lot, ladies? I mean, do you? Okay. Well, that's just a glimpse of what it's like for your husband. Uh, your husband, what those hormones do to your husband on a regular basis. I mean, when you've got him on a diet, that's all he's thinking about. I mean, that's all he wants. And I want to challenge you today to become such a lover of your husband and men such a lover of your wife that they would say, I'd be crazy to give this up. I'd be crazy to look elsewhere. And I know some people think the grass is greener on the other side. But I'm going to tell you, there's weeds in that grass too. But I mean, you ought to be such a lover of your spouse that they're saying, I'd be crazy to give this up. Now I realize that maybe for some of you, particularly the ladies, this might be a hard message because you came out of an abusive situation perhaps. Maybe you've been divorced before. You've been abused sexually. Maybe as a child or some of those types of things. I'm just hoping and praying that God will put a trust in your heart for that man you've married, that you feel safe with him, and that you can give your heart, soul, mind, and body to him. Because, uh, you know, you're married perhaps and the spark has gone out, and the Lord just wants you to strike the match. That's what he wants you to do. And if you'll just follow these three things, attitude, atmosphere, and work hard at pleasing each other, I think something great is going to happen in your relationship. And then the third thing that I want to talk about, and I'm just going to do it real briefly, because I talked about pursue love, pursue sex. And number three, you need to pursue life. Pursue life together. Uh, for a marriage to remain healthy, you have to pursue life together. What is your vision together for your future? Where, you, where do you want to be in a year or five years or down the road? You know, Jeannie and I have been talking about, we've got some land in a house and, you know, We've got about three or four more years before it's paid for. And we've talked about maybe selling some of our land or maybe selling everything and just building a barn dominium on a smaller piece of property and pay cash for it and then put some money in the bank. And that way it's all brand new and I don't have to fix anything. (laughs) And I'm thinking, well, I'd have enough money that I can hire somebody to do the landscaping in the front and the back and it'll look really nice. And I can hire somebody to go ahead and prepare my garden for me. I mean, put all the mulch, put all the stuff in there, do the raised beds, and all I got to do is from that point forward, plant the seeds and keep it up from there. I'm thinking, you know what? That sounds really good to me. Build me a little bit bigger uh, garage so I can put my big truck in there. You know what I'm saying? Build me a bigger barn so all my kids can continue to put all their junk in there. But you know, I mean, I'm thinking... I'll be 69 at the end of this month, and I'm thinking, you know what? I'm still dreaming about our future. You know, dreams never die. Dreamers do. So what are you dreaming together? 
What do you want to do together? It doesn't matter what your age is. I mean, how do you want to grow old together? Uh, what's your vision for your marriage? What, what would you like your marriage to be at the end of this year? Would you like to ha- have happier uh, relationship, better, where your your sexual life is more vibrant and you feel more fulfilled, that you have a better communication, all the things we're talking about. What about a vision for your kids? Do you want to teach them the things of God? Do you want to see them go to college? Do you want to see them move out of your house? Um, you know, what is your vision for your kids? Uh, what about vision for your finances? You know, do you want to get out of debt this year? Do you want to try in the next few years to pay off your home? Uh, prepare for retirement? Or what do you want that to look like? What is your vision for your future? Uh, Ten years down the road, what are your dreams? Because what you pursue, pursues you. What you pursue, pursues you. And you've got to be relentless in growing your marriage. Pursuing life, pursuing love, pursuing sex. If you do those things, I really think your marriage is going to get balanced you're going to be a lot happier than what you were. Amen. All right, Pastor Jordan. Yeah, I don't know if we should pray for us to have more sex or not, but we're going to do... You're pastor. <laughs> hey, um, just a thought here, and then we're going to do some question and answer because they're not ready to quite cook yet. Um, when, when the romance leaves, that's when the Rome comes in. That, that's how affairs happen. And I shared with you a few weeks ago, you know, Elizabeth and I went to Chico Hot Springs. It's great. She loves to get out of town and do that. I've been making that a practice to try to get out with her. But it was not easy for me because I get focused on other things. It's very hard for me to turn off and focus on her. It's really an area of personal growth for me to do that. So um, uh, next year I plan it. It won't be during the the playoffs where I'm watching football on my phone and talking to the couple from Dallas who was going for the Buccaneers. We'll focus on Elizabeth. I'm trying to get better every year. Those are just some things I'm doing. That that key romance part is so significant. And I've had to learn to date Elizabeth all over again. It gets complicated with kids, but by the grace of God, we're making it. I just want to thank Mike and Jeannie for your time, man. That was one of the best teachings on sex I've ever heard. Good job. Um, I just wanted to give you the opportunity. Uh, if you have any questions, you know, concerns, or comments, uh, throw it out there. I, I was, you know, I spent a lot of time with Mike and Jeannie. Um, one question I don't think I've ever asked, I'm going to get it started, is what do you think was the most difficult time in your marriage? In the 48 years you've been married, can you think of a time that was the most challenging and how you've gotten through that? Well, uh, it started on our first day of marriage and um, <clears throat> and there you go. <laughs> you know, I think, I think every season of life has its challenges. Whether you're newlywed or an oldlywed, is that a word? Old, oldlywed. Uh, I think it has its own challenges, and uh, like Jeannie says, flexible branches don't break. And I think you have to learn how to be flexible in all these things, because really every one of us go through seasons and hardships with jobs, careers, children, sicknesses, tragedies. And although marriage is that brings different pressures and stresses on us in our life and on our marriage. And although marriage is perfect in the sight of God, we have to live it in a real world. And so I, I, I don't know if I have an answer for that. Jeannie might have an answer. I would just say that for me, I think it's been a life of constant adjustments. And then I'm not always necessarily aware of that adjustment. Sometimes I have to kind of hit, hit the wall, so to speak, or have a come to Jesus meeting with Jeannie. Actually, she brings it to me because uh, men are hard-headed. But, um, you know, I uh, I think being flexible enough to realize that I'm not perfect, that sometimes I need to make some changes, I think might be best. I don't know. What about you? Well, I think... Oh. Oh. Here we go. Um, I think, too, just, yes, being flexible, but also understanding that men and women go through um, emotional highs and lows. And, you know, I mentioned last night uh, menopause. Oh, God. (laughs) I'm telling you, that that was a very difficult time for us. Um, Fortunately, my children were younger. Now people are having children later in life. 
And so now they're going through menopause when their kids are now teenagers and going through all of that. I can't even imagine what that's like. But, I mean, I, I remember yelling at my husband about something so insignificant. And in my mind, talking to myself like, what in the world are you doing and why are you doing this? You know, and then just realizing that my body was going through something that I needed to figure out. And I needed to figure out how to balance that. And I figured it out. And he could tell when I wasn't figuring it out. You know, and then, of course, it was like, are you on your progesterone cream? like you're supposed to be, you know? And so, so like I said, we all go through emotional highs and lows, and it's figuring out what we can do in those situations. You know, I mean, pregnancy, you know, your hormones are going crazy. You know, I, I personally feel sorry for husbands when their wives get pregnant on the honeymoon. Because he... He knew her as this one person, and now all of a sudden he's married to her, and she's changed into this totally different person because her hormones are going crazy because she's pregnant. And so it's just adjusting to all of that and uh, adjusting to where you are in life and just adjust, 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 adjust. Adjust, adjust, adjust. I like that. Um, anyone have any questions? Good, good opportunity. They can ask anything they want. No. I'll make up an answer if I have to. <laughs> ah, there we go. <clears throat> I was wondering, like, what? Like, it seems like this popular thing, age now, is being divorced when you get older, after you've already raised your kids, after you've already developed this life you're headed towards, and then you decide, I think it's called the gray divorce now. So do you guys have a comment on why that's happening more now? And into things, everything I've been teaching, they lost communication. Uh, there's no romance anymore. It's just gotten into a routine. And I mean, people schedule their sex now instead of being spontaneous. I mean, sometimes with schedules, you might have to schedule some things. Like, hey, this, this is a better night for all of us, you know, kids, everything else. But, but the spontaneity has gone out of the relationship. Uh, the love has not blossomed anymore because they're pursuing their own pursuits and their own ideas, the things that they want. And I just think uh, sometimes people grow apart. And I don't think you want to, but I think if you don't do some of the things we talked about uh, last night and today, you might find yourself there 15, 20 years down the road. It really, marriage, you have to work at it. You really do have to work at it. Now, my dad said marriage was suicide the slow way. <laughs> I'll let you think about that. <laughs> but he said that tongue-in-cheek. It was a joke. But, um, but you know, the reality is we really have to work at it. I mean, I thought about divorce before. Uh, not for very long. I actually thought about murder before I thought about divorce. But, you know, that was a, that was a thought. But, you know, it's just, it's just work. And it just takes a while to figure each other out. And really, like Jean was saying, you know, you go through menopause and other things. Now you're figuring out each other all over again. It, it's, I'm going to tell you, it's hard. It's hard to be married and stay married in this culture, in this world we're living in. That's why I'm hoping that your, your love for each other, maybe through maybe one thing that we shared, uh, might just be what it takes to be the glue that keeps you together and keep working together. Because... Uh, there is no happiness in divorce. We, Jeannie is a product of divorce. My family was not divorced, so I don't know what that is, but I have been around so many people that have, and they think it's going to be so much better. But you watch somebody else raising your children, it's not very happy. You're not very happy. You see somebody else with your wife or your husband, you know, you think about that. That's, that's who I was tied to. That's who I was connected to, and now somebody else is. So there, there's no real joy and happiness in it. But uh, that's why we're hoping that all of you stay married for a really long time, until death do you part. Yeah, I, I just want to second that. Elizabeth and I both are big believers in murder as opposed to divorce. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Anyone else have any thoughts, questions? Any questions? We need some questions asked. 
Uh, Elizabeth has a question. <laughs> so what do we do, because there are marriages out there where one person is so willing, but the other person is not willing to work on anything. Mm -hmm. And it's like a facade. I'm just going to get through, but the person's heart is so hardened. How does that wife or husband cope with that? Because it's a real thing that I hear that. Are you talking about like a lack of personal development? It, it could be. But how does the woman herself or the husband himself able to get through that? Navigate through that. Stay st be able to be strong in that and handle that. That is, a, that is a hard question. You know, because you always want it to be both of you wanting to work on it. And sometimes, you know, uh, there is just a hard heart. And that's what it is. So I, I think if you can be the one that can pursue it, you can be the one that understands, you know what, I'm not perfect either. Now, I may be the one that's trying to make it right, and I don't see any movement on their part. However, you know, I think the bottom line is I'm accountable to God. Me, personally, I am accountable to God. And so I want to be able to stand before God and say, God, I tried. I did everything that I knew how to do. I got counseling. I read books, resources. My heart was open. You know, you, you could never stand before God and God say, but you didn't do this. You know, I just want to be sure that I'm doing everything and I am accountable to God. Now, the other spouse, it's between them and God. And so I, I think if you can just stick with it with that kind of an attitude. You know, I, I gave you guys the thing on attitude. Your attitude has a lot to do with it. Amen. Personal attitude. Amen. And so I think if you can just have the right heart and the right attitude, God God will deal with that other person. You don't think he will? Listen, if, if God can use a donkey and speak through a donkey, you are not married to a donkey. Okay? And so they, they are still living. They are still breathing. They, are, they still have a mind that God can speak to them. And you just have to have faith and trust in God. He spoke to you. He can speak to them. You know, let me add one thing, too. You know, it could be uh, substance abuse, alcohol, alcoholism, um, pornography, all kinds of things that causes that spouse to do what they do. And uh, you're, not an, you're not responsible for their soul. The Bible says they hold their soul in their own hand. And I think Jeannie's right. You just have to do what's right in your own eyes. Because you can find happiness by doing what God asks you to do, whether they respond or not. It may not, it may not, it may not be the best situation for you, but you know the scriptures talk about how a woman can win her husband by just doing the right things. And it might be a lifetime journey. I don't know. I just know that if you do your part the way God wants you, God's going to bless you. He's going to touch you. He's going to bless you. He's going to convict that other person. Because I tell you, they're probably under conviction. They just don't want to give in. They're hard-hearted. They're, uh, they're hard-headed. As we say down south, they're a bunch of bubba heads. <laughs> and, um, you know, they're a bunch of bubba heads, and they just don't, they're not responding to God. But if you, just, if you just do what you're supposed to do, I believe the Lord's going to really help you find some joy, some part of your life you're going to have happiness and fulfillment. And prayerfully, they'll, they'll come around. Good question. Yeah, I would just add to that. Elizabeth and I both are working to have personal development in our lives. So whether it's going to the gym, whether it's reading books, I know I read a lot of books. I try to always grow in that area, but we're both trying to do better for ourselves so we can do better for each other, and it's something that we try to create in the culture of the home. Yeah, and I want to share one thing. I remember I was in the kitchen, 
And should I stand up? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. I was in I was in the kitchen. You know, we all go through frustrating times with our spouses, but um, I was there washing dishes, and the Lord asked me, "Do you love Jordan?" I said, yes, Lord, I love Jordan because love is patient. I've been patient with this man for the last 14 years. <laughs> like, love is patient, right? And so I was praying. I said, Lord, why did you ask me that? Like, is there something going on in my heart that I need to be aware of? And so I was in the kitchen. I was thinking and praying. Not only 10 minutes later, he speaks to me. He said, Elizabeth, let patience have my perfect work in you, so that way you're not lacking anything. You are complete and lacking nothing. So as I walk through my day-to-day -day life with this wonderful, godly man, God is working something greater in me. So I can stand before, here, before you and be encouraging to you that, yes, all things are possible. God can do a perfect work here. Amen. Yes, he can. He can. As long as we're willing and obedient to him, and then God takes care of the rest. Amen. All right. I think any, any more questions? Oh, going once? Going twice? All right. So, did, Marianne, did you go back there and see if they're quite ready? Are they ready? Almost ready, so. All right, so Brenda asked me to hold off a little bit. So let's just get up. Um, let's, we'll pray. We're going to get up, go to the bathroom, get ready to eat. Yeah, yeah, if you want prayer, we're here to pray. We about ready? Just about. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, Brenda, for everything. I'm going to pray. Yeah. And if you want prayer, of course, you know, we're here for you. So, Father, we just thank you for this seminar. I, I pray, Lord that just one word that we've heard could help change us. Something as simple as putting down the clicker and looking at our wives eye to eye. I pray we could put it into practice. I thank you for Mike and Jeannie. Bless them. Bless the word tomorrow. Bless these couples that have made the commitment to be here. Bless the food we're about to partake of. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Appreciate you all. Let's go eat. we got Olive Garden back there. so.